0: Well, if you're new with us, we are working our way through 2 Corinthians, and uh, today we finish up uh, what I've called uh, kind of a series within a series. As uh, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 is all about uh, the subject of generosity, the subject of giving, and the overarching point we've been making over the last couple of weeks is that we would uh, excel. In this act of grace, excel in this act of generosity. Now sometimes I know when you hear uh, guys preaching on giving that can make you a bit disappointed and um, but I think uh, it's important for us to realize uh, that any talk on giving uh, biblically understood is actually a talk on grace Uh, and uh, grace uh, makes us glad uh, not sad. Uh, In fact this whole section 2nd Corinthians 8 and 9 is really one big sermon about grace. And what we're going to see today is that when we reflect God's grace uh, through a life of generosity, we experience great joy and blessing. And so becoming a generous person is not the worst thing that could happen to us. It's one of the greatest things that could happen to us. And let's pray for God's help now as we look into it, uh, that he would indeed work this grace in our hearts. Father, you have bestowed upon us grace on top of grace As Peter says, you are the God of all grace, and uh, your grace has given us manifold blessings. And today we want to be not just the receivers of your grace, but reflectors of your grace, that we would put your grace on display in this broken world by living gracious, generous, loving lives. So by the power of the Spirit today, I pray that you would free us up to be cheerful givers in jesus good name we pray amen well this focus uh, on generosity has caused me to uh, revisit uh, some biographies uh, around one of my uh, heroes of the faith george Mueller. george Mueller is is known for uh, receiving uh, just incredible provision uh, from god for his work particularly in the orphanages that he founded and was also known to be just uh, an incredibly generous uh, saint. He was a native German, born in 1805, died in 1898. And he spent most of his life, though, in Bristol, England, and he pastored the same church for some 66 years. He was said to have personally supported 2,000 orphans. He was called the Prince of Intercessors because he was not only a generous man, but he was a praying man. And he would build five orphan houses that would care for some 10,000 orphans in his lifetime. And he did all of this while preaching three times a week. <laughs> one can read story after story of God's miraculous provision for this man's ministry. And this is what Mueller said on one occasion It is the Lord's order that in whatever way he is pleased to make us his stewards, whether as to temporal or spiritual things, the Lord is pleased to repay those who act for him as stewards and who contribute to his work or to the poor as he may be pleased to prosper them. And he goes on to say, But how much greater is the spiritual blessings we receive both in this life and the life to come if constrained by the love of Christ we act as God's stewards, respect that which he is pleased to entrust us. People like George Mueller are those who, as we looked at in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, gave themselves first to the Lord, and then they gave as loving, generous stewards uh, to the work of God. And so the question today is, is how can we live with that same kind of spirit? Well, if you've been with us, you know I've already made 12 points, and today I'm going to add to that six more principles. So you will have sat through, (laughs) outside, an 18-point sermon. And I want you to just know you've got your money's worth. Okay? So, six more principles on generosity. And as we've said, some of these are overlapping principles, and really the overarching principle is that we would excel in this act of grace. So, number one, Christian, or number 13, I should say, Christian giving involves trusting in God's abundant return of one's generosity. Notice what Paul says in verse 6. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully or generously will reap bountifully. Now here Paul lays out uh, kind of a fundamental principle as it relates to Christian discipleship, and that is the principle of sowing and reaping. This idea has spoken of in various places in the Bible. Galatians chapter 6, for example, do not be deceived. God is not mocked, for whatever one sows, that will he also reap. And there Paul is talking in that context about uh, holiness, how holiness is a harvest. It's a harvest that you receive after you sow in the Spirit, uh, doing holy things, that you reap what you sow. Hosea also says something along those lines, Sow for yourselves righteousness and reap steadfast love. Break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord, that he may come and rain righteousness upon you. Whatever we sow, we reap. And the question that we have in verse 6 that's forced upon us is is not necessarily are we sowing, but but how will we sow? Will we sow sparingly or bountifully? To sow bountifully means being driven by desire to bless others, to overflow with loving generosity. This is large-hearted giving. This is giving that reflects the nature of God. Our God does not bless us sparingly, but bountifully. And you notice here, the point is not just self-divestment of offloading resources, but it's about faith-filled investment. You will reap bountifully. Do you believe that? Bountiful giving comes back to the giver. You see this throughout the scriptures. For example, Proverbs 22, a generous man will himself be blessed we just looked at Psalm 112 about the blessed man who is generous. Now, this does not mean, as the prosperity preachers have at it, that that return is always financial or material, even though that may happen. Now, the word I like that Paul uses down in verse 11 is enriched. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. Enriched, that is the word we looked at previously, The idea in 2 Corinthians 8-9 that Jesus became poor so that through his poverty we might become rich. We are enriched. We are blessed with manifold spiritual blessings as we sow bountifully. We receive the return of that which matters most. A deeper communion with God. A greater joy in God. There is great blessedness in generosity just as George Mueller pointed out. So Christian giving involves trusting in God's abundant return of one's generosity. So trust him in that. Number 14, Christian giving is cheerful giving. Verse 7 is probably one of the most popular verses on this subject in the Bible, and rightly so. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Paul may have in mind Deuteronomy 15, where uh, the text is speaking of uh, God's people during the sabbatical year and how they should take care of the poor. And there we read in Deuteronomy, you shall give to him freely, and your heart shall not be grudging when you give to him, because for this the Lord, your God, will bless you in all your work and all that you undertake, for for there will never cease to be the poor in your land. So it's not just the idea of giving. As we said last week, God doesn't need our money. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills, as the psalm says. But God is after our hearts. So it's not just a, a, a giver. He wants a cheerful giver. This, this idea has been bubbling up all the way through chapters 8 and 9, and now it just breaks through, through uh, the surface. God loves a cheerful giver. So it's not merely the external action, but it's the attitude in the heart. You guys know this, if you give your wife a gift on her birthday, but you act like you don't really like giving her this gift, she doesn't really like you, right? It's Kimberly's birthday, and I, its not actually today, but when it's her birthday, and I go get her some flowers, and maybe a new dress, you know, uh, some chocolate, those kinds of things, and I give it to her, hey babe, happy birthday. Oh, T-Bone Malone, you're so sweet. Like, why why did you do this? And if I say to her, because I had to. I don't want to. Like, all these other guys do it, and so I've got to do it. It's just really a social construct. I'm not very into this sort of thing. Like, that doesn't please my wife. A cheerful giver pleases her. If I say, to quote Brian Adams, everything I do, I do it for you. Right? There's great joy in my heart. Put on a little Belle Bev DeVoe in the background and give her this gift. Now, that, that's more pleasing. You see, Christians shouldn't need to be crowbarred into giving. They should want to. Because they inwardly delight in God. They're aware of His grace and His love. And they're grateful people. Not reluctantly, Paul says. Not because you have to. That's the way we pay taxes. Reluctantly. <laughs> we shouldn't think of giving to God's mission as, as some kind of bill. If so, then this verse is weird. I mean, how many of you would say, I'm a cheerful bill payer? No, we're not cheerful bill payers. So what's the difference? What's the difference in paying the bills and paying the taxes and giving to the church and giving to the mission of God? We remember that God is a giver. We remember that Jesus paid it all. We remember that our greatest problem has been solved. And therefore, a stingy Christian is a contradiction in terms. God loves a cheerful giver. Now, some of you may say, I'm a cheerful spender. <laughs> just I can just kill it on Amazon. I'm wearing that van driver out. Shoes and cars and clothes and all of you. Let's, let's, let's be cheerful givers. May God make us generous people that delight in generosity. If you do a little brief study on the things God loves, Interestingly enough, outside of the references of his love for his people and his church, you you just find a few particular things. Like, for example, God loves his sanctuary, Malachi 2. A number of verses in Psalms and Proverbs about the Lord loves righteousness. Or Deuteronomy 10, 18, the Lord loves the sojourner. Or Psalm 87, 2, the Lord loves the gates of Zion. Psalm 99, the king in his might loves justice. And we add to that list now, God loves a cheerful giver. These are the things that God loves. Now, it's not always greed that keeps a person from being a generous giver, a cheerful giver. Sometimes it's fear. It's the fear that if we give, we won't have enough or God won't provide And it's very interesting to me in Luke chapter 12, after Jesus gives the great discourse on anxiety about how we should consider how he cares for the birds and the flowers and so on, he then says this Fear not, little flock. It is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail. I love that. Fear not, little flock. It is the Father's pleasure to give you the kingdom. That's what a cheerful God we have. It's his pleasure to give us the kingdom so we can relax. We shouldn't allow fear to get into our hearts and keep us from being cheerful givers. Let's trust him as we give. And that's the the subject that's hit next, this matter of trust in verses 8 to 10. Number 15, Christian giving involves trusting In God's abundant provision, which enables us to be generous. It involves trusting in God's abundant, abundant provision, which enables one to be generous. Here now Paul begins to emphasize God's grace. Verse 8, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Now you can just see how sufficient God's grace is in verse 8. What a verse. Notice that Paul not only speaks of of the abundance uh, from which God gives, but he also uses this Greek word pas for all or every, five times here in one verse. All grace, having all sufficiency, that is everything you need and more, in all things at all times. And you can then abound in every good work. So he's reaching for language here to try to get across the point that God is enough. God supplies a sufficient amount. There is no shortage in his grace. We may have a gas shortage, but not a grace shortage. There may be a Chick-fil-A sauce shortage, which is a state of emergency, isn't it? And chicken fingers as well, I understand. But there is no shortage in God's grace. God gives abundantly. He is able. He is not stingy. He is not some divine scrooge. God gives abundantly, lavishly. This is not Paul speaking of God's forgiving grace, as glorious as that is, but here, His empowering grace. God's grace empowers us. I love how he goes from a specific act of obedience, giving, to this broad description of obedience, every good work. God's grace is sufficient to enable us to be obedient. And so we can be all in. We can be joy-filled because God is behind it all, resourcing it all. And then he reaches back into the Old Testament and gets an example from Psalm 112. As it is written, he is distributed freely, he is given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. I love Psalm 112, a great description of a godly man. And of all the traits, you know, that are mentioned in Psalm 112 about uh, conducting one's affairs with justice. And I love Psalm 112, verse 7. He is not afraid of bad news. He trusts in the Lord. Then he drops in this verse 9 of Psalm 112 that Paul recites here. This is an example, he says. This is an example of a blessed man, the godly man who is generous. He's distributed freely. Is given to the poor. And as a result, Paul says, he will never stop, or the psalmist says, never stop receiving spiritual dividends throughout all eternity. This is the blessed man. He sows to the spirit. He is abundantly generous. And now he comes back to the farming analogy in verse 10, speaking again of, of God's abundant provision which enables us to be generous. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of righteousness. So we notice here, the beginning of the harvest, God supplies the seed. The end of the harvest, it's bread. And affirming that God supplies both the beginning and the end, it is he who supplies. Humans work in God's creation But God is the ultimate provider of all that we have. The bread we will enjoy. Ultimately, we give him thanks. And that's why we pray, give us this day our daily bread. God will supply it. And notice, he supplies more than we need. He will multiply your seed for sowing, that is financial generosity, and it will increase the harvest of your righteousness. That is rich, eternal blessings. God multiplies the resources of the generous so they can give more. So a closed hand that is not generous is also closed off to receiving more from God. It is the generous hand that keeps receiving. God continues multiplying and continues to build up his kingdom. You know, I usually prepare my sermons early in the week on Monday Monday and finish it up on Tuesday, send it to a group of people. And Kilo's one of the guys who got it or gets it. And, and he said, Tony, you should ask the people in this, on this point, can you think of a time in which God supplied all you needed and more so that you could bless someone else? So Kilo wants me to ask you, it, has there ever been a time <laughs> where you have experienced these verses? where God has abundantly supplied all you need and more so that you can be abundantly generous to the needs of others. That's a joyful experience, isn't it? It is more blessed to give than receive. So Christian giving involves trusting in God's abundant provision, which enables one to be generous. Number 16, Christian giving leads to thanksgiving to God. Verses 11 and 12, you will be enriched in every way. There's the word of how the Lord blesses those who live this generous life. We are enriched in every way, but not just as a a cul-de-sac, as an end in itself, but as a conduit of more. You'll be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. And notice how comprehensive that is. It's not merely the writing of a check though that's included here. It's in every way we live a generous life, generous with all our resources, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. So it doesn't even terminate on the one being blessed through our generosity. That's penultimate. The ultimate end is that God is praised because after all, he's the one who provided it in the first place. Therefore, he gets the thanks for it. Verse 12, he builds on it for the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. If you're new with us, uh, what's going on in this backstory is that they're collecting an offering for the struggling saints in Jerusalem. And Paul is saying the generosity of the churches in Macedonia and Galatia and eventually here uh, in Corinth will have such an impact on the church in Jerusalem, if you were to visit their Sunday gathering, you would see a great spirit of thanksgiving in the place. It would be an atmosphere of praise to God for His abundant provision. And He says, Your generosity is not just going to provide food for them and, and supply their needs, but it's actually going to lead to praise to God. And we give ultimately for that doxological purpose, don't we? To give God praise. Verse 13. By their approval of this service, it's the word from which we get the word deacon, and I love that. Again, as I said, Paul never uses the word money in in either of these chapters. He reframes the whole idea and casts it in Christian language. It's a service, or you could translate it a ministry. That's important for us to remember that one of the ways we are always involved in ministry is through generosity. For in this ministry, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ. So, Paul says we give. We give generously. We trust in God's abundant provision. As we give, we recognize that this will end in many thanksgivings to God. We're enriched in every way in order to be generous in every way. As John Wesley put it well one time, work as hard as you can, make as much as you can, Give as much as you can. I think, I think Paul would amen that. Verse 17, I alluded to it already. Christian giving flows from one's confession to the gospel. As he says, all of this comes from your, your submission that comes from the confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others while they long and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. In other words, one of the evidences of true salvation is generosity. A true confession of the gospel impacts all of life. We, we, we could think of many ways in which that happens. It impacts how we look at people. We looked at 2 Corinthians 5.16. It impacts how we use our homes, how we conduct our lives, and here it impacts how we think about money. It changes how we think about these things as those who are under the lordship of Jesus Christ. And this fruit of the gospel that is in our lives will lead again, he says, the Jerusalem saints to glorify God. And he drops in verse 14, a word of solidarity. This is also a rich blessing that happens when we give to uh, the ministries of the church, the mission of the church, is that they long for you and pray for you. And They've never met these Jerusalem Christians. And yet their generosity... And it establishes a spiritual solidarity. It establishes an affectionate bond with one another. And they are now praying for the Corinthian church. The Corinthian church. This is one of the ways you see in the text that you are enriched through your generous partnership. Is that you establish these friendships and these partnerships and now you receive their prayers. They are strengthened. The Corinthians are strengthened by the prayers of the Jerusalem saints. That's one of their responses to their generosity. So look what the gospel does. The gospel changes hearts. The gospel unifies Christians and churches, in this case, Jew and Gentile churches, and it leads to God being glorified. Praise God for the gospel. Finally, number 18, Christian giving. Is always to be done in view of Jesus. Paul's sermon on grace concludes with a glorious verse. I mean, Paul knows how to conclude a good chapter. In 1 Corinthians 15, he spends 57 verses on the resurrection. And then he gives a great therefore. Always abound in the work of the Lord because your labor is not in vain. And here, Paul concludes a glorious section by saying, a doxology, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. As we receive his grace, we are changed. As we receive his grace, we become generous. And he concludes our, our, uh, with this section, reminding us to give thanks to God for his inexpressible gift. I love how Paul bursts out in a doxology all the time. He's just riding along, you know, and then it's thanks be to God. That should happen in our hearts. Whatever the Christians in, in Corinth decided to give, Paul says, it doesn't compare with what God has already given you. And so we thank him. And what is it? Well, notice he says, the grace of God that has been shown to us is inexpressible. This is one of those words that only appears one time right here in the New Testament. Most scholars think Paul just made it up. Referring to that which is unutterable, indescribable. You can express with words the greatness of God's grace. And I think specifically what Paul has in mind, this inexpressible gift, is the gift of salvation in Jesus Christ himself. He draws our attention to Jesus and he says his grace is not quantifiable, it is indescribable. It is beyond reckoning. And the more we gaze upon the grace of Jesus Christ, the more gracious and generous and humble and loving we become. Because we become like that which we worship. And as we think about the grace of Jesus Christ, it changes us. It's inexpressible. What do we have today, church? We have an inexpressible gift. As Paul said in 2 Corinthians 8 9, right? We are rich in him. So Paul concludes by drawing our attention to the simple fact that Jesus Christ is the ultimate giver. He has given his life for us. He has given us the forgiveness of sins. He has given us eternal life. He has given us new life. He has given us his righteousness. He has given us a new spiritual family. He has given us peace with God. He has given us access to God. He has given us a glorious inheritance. He has given us a living hope and a joy that is unspeakable and filled with glory. He has given us his word. He has given us a mission. He has given us his spirit. He will give us the glory of a new creation. And ultimately, he has given us himself. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. And faithful Christian giving involves contemplating the grace that we have received and enjoyed in Jesus Christ. Paul says, for he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not with him graciously give us all things? That's how Paul ends this section. And now he's going to rail on the false teachers for three chapters. (laughs) It's quite a pivot. But but the story isn't finished here in chapter 9, verse 15. This is one of those occasions where we can peek into another passage of Scripture and see whether or not Paul's sermon here bore fruit. And it did. When Paul wrote to the Romans, Paul eventually would go to Corinth. That's where he wrote Romans. And this is what he said to the Roman Christians concerning this collection that was given to the Jerusalem saints. This is Romans 15, 26, and 27. At present, however, I am going to Jerusalem bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia, we've been looking at them, and Achaia, that is where Corinth is, have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. I love how twice Paul says that the Macedonians, who were the example that he started the chapter off with, and the Corinthians were pleased. In other words, they were cheerful givers to this missional endeavor of offering, giving this offering to the saints in Jerusalem. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Jesus Christ changes lives. Jesus Christ works his grace in and through all kinds of churches and Christians, including the cantankerous confused Corinthians God used this church as they heeded Paul's words and as a result thanksgivings went up to God God was glorified, the church was built up unity was strengthened as they didn't live with tight fists but open handed generosity giving all that they had received from God who abundantly provides all that we need and more Thanks be to God for his word. Let's pray together, shall we? Father, we thank you this morning for the greatness of your grace that you have bestowed upon us in material ways, but ultimately in spiritual ways. That we, as we have just sung about earlier, can say Christ is mine. And if we can say that we are rich, gloriously rich, <laughs> richer than we even know because we have been given the greatest of all gifts in Jesus Christ. And we give you thanks today. Work your grace in our hearts the way you worked in this Corinthian church to make us generous people, contributing to the needs of the saints and the mission of the church. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, Amen.